Welcome to the Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary. I am Peter Klein. Thank you very much for downloading. This one going to be much more combat sports focused. Uh, a couple of quick sports notes off the top, but mainly going to get into a preview of the boxing coming up on Saturday, a review of Blood and Guts from this week, which absolutely delivered. So just looking forward to diving into that. And also we got some UFC talk coming up as well. If you have any comments on the show, send them my way by email, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I am on Twitter and Instagram, twitter.com slash primetimecline and instagram.com slash primetimecline. I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. The music you're listening to is from Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent. There are X's where the A's would go, but otherwise it's spelled normally in all one word, and their producer is on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. So, I want to get into a couple of things on the show today, but a couple of more sportsy things before we get into the face punching. The New York Rangers have lost their goddamn minds. Uh, reports saying that the firing of John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, not because of the statement that was released and those two parties distancing themselves from the statement following the whole Tom Wilson saga, or at least the first act of the Tom Wilson saga. And the the official stance of this podcast is, that makes it worse. I love what the Rangers have built. And this year is not going to end with the Rangers in the postseason. I thought it would. I didn't think Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh would be this good. Although I also didn't think Philadelphia would be this bad. Uh, beside the point. The Rangers are trending in the exact perfect direction. Like, I, I I love what they have built. You get a young superstar, potentially, in Alexi uh, Lafreniere. I still think Capococco is going to be something. Artemi Panarin is, I, I think, quite frankly, a little underrated in terms of how good he can make others around him. Mika Zibanejad has, I, I think, leveled up his game into being a top-flight player. I, I am very much here for uh, Buchnevich as well. Like, there are so many pieces of the Rangers that I like. The one issue I have with what this group is, is that none of those pieces I mentioned are on the blue line. And I thought they tried to address that in the offseason, and I thought they failed miserably at that. And the ironic thing about all of this is that the reason that they have been let go, that being Gorton and that being John Davidson, is... Apparently, uh, Mark Messier and the rest of ownership don't think that the Rangers are leadery enough, and don't think they have the the grit and the determination to to advance to the next level that the New York Ranger franchise wants to get to. Which is the stupidest damn thing I've heard. But also, the the cruel irony in this is that. The Rangers tried to address their issues on the blue line while also maybe trying to get a little bit more of that leadership and the <laughs> that they're looking for when they go out and acquire Jack Johnson. And that failed miserably for them. And I thought that was one of the bigger flaws of their offseason. I just can't imagine looking at what has been built with this New York Rangers team and thinking, ah, eh, we need to go in a different direction. Like, that that just seems so, so ass-backwards to me that uh, a franchise that everything is going well, but Jim Dolan just can't have that. Like, he has to have one franchise that's just absolutely in the toilet, whether it be the Knicks, but it looks like they're turning around, so let's go screw up the Rangers for a decade, shall we? I hate it. The NHL is better when the Rangers are relevant in a good way, 
And right now, they are staying relevant for all the wrong reasons. And I, I still think the talent will be able to overcome, but I, I very much get concerned about what direction this team is going to go in when the, uh, I guess the message from on high is we need to get tougher because that doesn't equal better in today's NHL. And you just look at all the young talent that's been built, it feels like you could potentially waste some of that. So we'll see how it all goes for the New York Rangers. If I'm a GM in the NHL, I might be looking to take advantage of this and try to get some of the good young players out of the Rangers organization and give them some of my bigger, slower knuckle-draggers and see if that ends up working because this, this just screams mismanagement for me. Uh, also in baseball, Albert Pujols has been released and his time with the Cardinals made him one of my favorite, probably my favorite player not playing for the Blue Jays at that time. And probably like one of the, the two or three best players I've seen in my lifetime. I am 31 years old at the, the time of recording. And so I do not say any of what I'm about to say from a place of um, like hating on him or anything like that. But I don't know how you can't look at his time with the Angels and think that doesn't hurt the legacy of Albert Pujols. The, the reason I say that, and I understand, like no one, no one holds Jordan's time with the Wizards against him. Although when you go back and look at it, that actually is a bit of a notch for him because of how good he was with those Wizards teams. But we, we don't hold late career things against these athletes all that much. And I know it just kind of feels like this Angels thing is just kind of a, a blip on what is an otherwise phenomenal career. And that is probably how it is going to view, be viewed and quite frankly, probably how it shouldn't be viewed. But it, it just, it isn't for me. He has spent 10 seasons with the LA Angels after spending 11 with the St. Louis Cardinals. So half of his career, he has just been a bit of an afterthought. Now, to be fair, his first year with the, the Angels is a pretty good one. He hits 285, a 343 on base percentage, which, oddly enough, is 100 points lower than uh, a couple of his seasons with the Cardinals. But yeah, 285, 30 home runs, 105 RBIs, a very good start. And then he falls off of a cliff a little bit. And it, it's just, it, it is not... He just never gets back to those St. Louis Cardinals levels. And it sucks because he was so, so good. And I, I don't I don't think that this is going... It's certainly not going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame or anything like that. But when, when you look back at the legacy of Albert Pujols, I do think that half of his career being, eh, I think you have to look at that. And I think you have to take that seriously. In 11 years with the Cardinals, he hits 328 with a 420 on base percentage, which, good God. But 445 home runs, um, 1,300 RBI, if that's a stat that you're into. And then in 10 years with the Angels, 222 home runs, uh, 256 batting average, and a 311 on base percentage. Like, it, it's just, it's not good. It is very average. And it, it it's an interesting balance when you go from being exceptional for 11 years and then, eh, for 10, I think that has to, to hit the, the legacy just a little bit. I will always remember Albert Pujols as just one of the most intimidating hitters that you will see. And just almost a perfect hitter for his time with the St. Louis Cardinals. But I, I don't think that you can just gloss over half of a career 
being mediocre when you look at the legacy of Albert Pujols. So there, a little bit of sportsy stuff off the top. Now let's get into the face punching. The big event of the weekend is Canelo Alvarez taking on Billy Joe Saunders as they look to unify the super middleweight championship. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders holds the WBO super middleweight championship. Canelo Alvarez holds the rest of them. Canelo comes into this one at 55-1-2. and two. God, boxing records are insane. He is 30 years old. It feels like he is kind of one of those... Okay, well, we're seeing the last few fights of his prime. Nah, 30. Um, born in Guadalajara, Mexico. Coming in on a six-fight winning streak after a draw in 2017 with Triple G. He has finished three of those, including his most recent bout, where he, he had the power punch advantage of 58-4. to four. The only reason I hesitate in the slightest picking Canelo Alvarez this weekend is that this is already a second fight of 2021 and his third fight since December. So this is a guy who has stayed very active and that, that's just, that is a lot of face punching all at one time. Now, a couple of these fights have not provided the most resistance for him. So I, I, it's, it's not like he's been in three absolute wars back to back to back and now he he is going to to somehow try to to find his way into a, another bout this weekend that that is certainly not the case again like i said he took four power punches in his last fight those are the ones that he absorbed like there is just there, there is no way that you look at those fights and think, oh, well, that really wore him out. But those are still training camps, and those are still fights that he has to to get ready for and get his body ready for. So I, I don't know if we're going to be seeing Canelo at 100%. The good thing for him is that I don't know if you need to see him at 100% for him to be the, the, the victor in this one. Canelo comes in as a minus 700 betting favorite. Billy Joe Saunders, if you're liking him, you can get him at plus 450. Those numbers provided by Bodog. For Billy Joe Saunders, he is 31 years old. He has not lost in 30 professional fights. Five foot eleven, fighting out of the southpaw stance again, 31 years old in the WBO Super Middleweight Championship. I find the the career arc for Billy Joe Saunders to actually be a little bit interesting because he is someone who for a long time everyone's been saying, hey, don't sleep on Billy Joe Saunders. He is someone for a long time. There was, okay, this is going to be another, like, real good superstar in the boxing world. And, to his credit, he is 30-0. He is a world champion. But in terms of mainstream attention, he just hasn't broken through that yet. And now, all of a sudden, he is taking the biggest fight in the sport. And that, that just, it is quite the, okay, he's fought twice in North America. Boom! Fighting the biggest draw in boxing right now. So it really is kind of just catching him up to where he was supposed to be career-wise. The thing that holds him back a little bit is he kind of just sucks as a person. And that that has, I think, very much affected him over the last little while. And in terms of public perception, it feels like boxing promotions are just kind of shying away from him. And now he's coming out here because Canelo is in this Kenny Omega belt collector mode where... It feels like he understands he is the draw, and now he is fighting for legacy, and he's just going to make a shitload of money no matter who he fights, so he is just going to fight people who actually deserve this instead of the biggest names, and I credit Canelo for that. I really, really do appreciate that. The problem is you do shine a spotlight on Billy Joe Saunders, who uh, a couple of times in the last little while has just quite frankly been a piece of shit, and there is too much of that going on in boxing, and it... it 
it is too bad that someone like Billy Joe Saunders is going to get the attention this week. And that, yeah, it sucks. So if you're wondering, what am I talking about? In 2018, there was a video of Saunders in a Rolls Royce taunting someone with a drug addiction, offering them 150 pounds of cocaine to either perform a sex act or punch a passerby. That makes you a bad person. And then in 2020, Saunders allegedly made some phone calls to Delta Airlines claiming that three other boxers on a flight from Vegas to New York were infected with COVID-19. The trio was removed from the flight. Apparently, this clip gets leaked. Saunders is laughing in the background. Just makes you not a good guy. But then the thing that makes him even worse is that later in March, Saunders posted a video online instructing men on how to hit their female partners while you're in isolation because of the COVID pandemic. So to say that I will take great pleasure in Canelo Alvarez beating the ever-loving hell out of Billy Joe Saunders this weekend would be a gigantic understatement. If you're looking at some of the props for this one, because again, Canelo just to win straight up, it gets a it, it, minus 700. You're, you're not getting a, a great return on your investment. If you think this one is going to go the distance, it is plus 155 for Canelo to win by decision. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders staying at that plus 450. So you know how people think this fight is going to go down if Billy Joe Saunders is going to get it. I think, I think Canelo gets the finish. Um, We've talked about how busy Canelo has been. Billy Joe Saunders has been quite the opposite. This is just his second fight since November of 2019. He is coming off of a very complete performance uh, against Martin Murray in a title fight back in December. Murray provided zero resistance in that fight. And Martin Murray is a veteran of the sport who should be held in the highest of respects. But for the last half of that fight, they were talking about how old the dude looked. Some of that is credit to Billy Joe Saunders, but at some point in that fight, he just realized he was going to get to do whatever the hell he wanted to. And that's what he did and didn't put Murray away. So the the thought of Murray getting this one punch to, to stop Canelo Alvarez, it's a fist fight, so anything could happen. But I, I just, I simply do not see that happening. I think Canelo stops this one. I don't mind taking the under at, uh, the, the under set at 10 and a half rounds. I like that, plus 125. And then... Uh, aside from that, if you want to try to pick exactly what round, that gets very, very tricky to do. But uh, I like Canelo to finish this one. You get Canelo by KO, TKO, or DQ is minus 110. If Again, if you want to try to group which rounds you think he could finish it in, you can get rounds 1 through 6 at plus 450. I wonder if he's just out here to make a statement. So I, I don't, I, I certainly don't hate that one at uh, Canelo in rounds one through six at plus 450. That's probably where I would go. A couple other props to, to keep an eye on. Billy Joe Saunders to be knocked down two or more times at plus 120. That could be a little bit tricky. Uh, that, that's a lot of getting your ass kicked, but I, I certainly could see it. So that is one that that is one that I like as well. So a couple of props to look for, but I, I think Canelo gives Billy Joe Saunders the ass kicking that, quite frankly, I believe he deserves. There is other fighting going on this weekend as well, as the Ultimate Fighting Championship is back at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. The main event was supposed to be TJ Dillashaw going up against Corey Sandhagen, but Dillashaw was cut during training, so that fight will have to be rescheduled for another day, and it moves Marina Rodriguez into the main event against Michelle Waterton, or Watterson, sorry, in the women's flyweight division. 
and a real intriguing fight and a really intriguing card. You, you have every fight on the main card except for the heavyweight bout of Maurice Green against Marcus Rogerio de Lima. Um, every fight has someone in the top 15. And of those, the only fight that doesn't have both fighters in the top 15 has Donald Cowboy Cerrone in it. So a, a sneaky fun card and, and one that I'm quite interested to see. But I think this main event is quite intriguing as you have Michelle Watterson who has always just been like just right there in terms of, of contending in the, the women's division in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. She gets a split decision win in her last fight against Angela Hill, who was not happy about that. She's fighting on this card as well um, against uh, Amanda Hibas, and uh, a fight that I, I'm quite looking forward to, and uh, an important fight for her in the strawweight division. But for Watterson, you go back and you, you kind of, you, you look at the resume for her and she she gets that win over Angela Hill and it stops a two fight losing streak. Two fight losing streaks are bad for your career. On the other hand, those losses are to Carla Esparza and to Joanna Jacek. Those came after three fight winning streak. Courtney Casey, Felice Herrig, Carolina Kovacavich, all good wins. That was after losses to Tisha Torres and Rose Namunas. So her record doesn't look absolutely sparkling in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's not bad. She's 6-4 and four after a 3-1 and one run in Invicta. But when you take a bit of a deeper dive into those losses, she is losing to three fighters who have held championships in the UFC and then one in Tisha Torres, who... I don't believe... has been close to a title shot before, but hasn't necessarily been able to get all the way there. And, and quite frankly, I thought... She had fought for a championship at some point, but now going over the career, comes up a, a little bit short a couple of times. Uh, her most marquee fight, actually coming in Calgary, where she loses to Ioana Janjacek after a unanimous decision loss to Jessica Andrade. Uh, that's Martisha Torres talk that I thought we were going to have today. But the, the thing with Watterson is that the only fighters she loses to are the ones at the tippy top of the mountain. And so that leads you to a couple of conclusions. One, I don't think Marina Rodriguez... Well, Mar Marina Rodriguez is certainly not there yet. But a win for Rodriguez likely solidifies that she should be in that conversation. So that makes this a very important fight in this division. I give the edge to Michelle Watterson. I, I still think that her striking ability with the, the karate black belt is going to be enough to pick up a victory in this fight, although Rodriguez has never been stopped in her MMA career, coming into this fight at 13-1-2, and 3-1-2 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. The, the last fight where she picks up a knockout win over Amanda Hibas is the only one that didn't require the judges to do some work as she picked up a knockout in the second round. So overall, fun night. And you look at it, like Donald Cerrone against uh, Alex Morano. The fall of Donald Cerrone, we knew it was not going to be a comfortable one, and it certainly isn't. And you see him not even headlining a show that has its main event fall out. Kind of shows where Donald Cerrone has fallen off to in his long and storied career. The dude has lost four in a row. And then the Nico Pri uh, Price fight that ends up becoming a no contest. There's eye pokes in that fight. And then Price tests positive for marijuana, which, I mean gasp but Cerrone has not won a fight since May 4th of 2019 and the crazy thing is is he fought five times in that span this is a guy who is always going to stay busy and this is a guy who has certainly earned the respect 
of a lot of people for what he has done inside the UFC's octagon. Um, he's going up against Alex Morano, who has lost two of his last three, and it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot special about him, to be perfectly honest. So I, I don't think Morano is the one to get it done and put the final nail in the, the career of Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I think Cerrone ends up picking up a win in this fight. I don't think that Cerrone is ever going to sniff a title opportunity ever again, but I do think that this is not the time for him to go. By the way, if you are with me in liking Michelle Waterson, she's a plus 175 underdog in the bout coming up this weekend. Another one that has my attention, Jeffrey Neal against Neil Magny. Again, a couple of guys who need wins in the UFC's welterweight division. Not going to go through the whole card, but they're the main card is definitely one to check out. If you are looking for a primer before you get ready for Canelo taking on Billy Joe Saunders on Saturday night, I believe the main card starts at 6 Mountain Time. That Canelo fight ain't starting at 6 Mountain Time, that's for damn sure. So you'll have a nice little lead-in going into that bout. A nice full day of face punching. After a fun weekend of face elbowing as... The, the UFC card from last weekend ends in just the most glorious of fashion with Yuri Prohachka with a spinning back elbow win over Dominic Reyes. I had said going into this that the winner of this fight would be one fight away from a title shot, and I lied. We are now at the point where Yuri is just waiting to see what happens in that championship bout between Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira because he don't got nothing to prove anymore. You have that emphatic a win over a title challenger and a top five opponent, you, sir, get rocketed into title contention. And all of this is fun, but it does kind of... The eyes already start to drift towards UFC 262 happening next weekend from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. I believe it's going to be a full crowd, and they are going to get treated to quite the night with Charles Oliveira taking on Michael Chandler for the vacant UFC 155-pound championship. Tony Ferguson will face Benil Dariush, where Dariush... We'll get into this more next week. He has always had a fan in me, and now he is finally getting to that level that I thought he would get to. Caitlin Chukagian had a bit of a misstep in her quest for a championship, but I still think she could be a contender for a championship fight in the women's flyweight division. She is on this card. Edson Barbosa against Shane Burgos is just going to be phenomenal. And Jock Ray is fighting on the undercard. That's how good this card is. So a very, very good card coming up on sa uh, Saturday, May 15th. That will just kind of extend a, a pretty decent run for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. for Couch Potato Diary provided by Wasted Talent. Follow them on Instagram at Wasted Talent and follow their producer at Tommy Fresh Music. Moving into pro wrestling and you could all tell at how I was hyping it up how excited I was for AEW's Blood and Guts and it delivered in my opinion. I thought the whole show was a touch awkward just because they, they didn't really have the camera set up for the two rings very well. They, they had the hard cam still set up in the middle and it, it just felt a little bit awkward the whole show, I thought. But still, you, you set up some good things. Like Orange Cassidy against Kenny Omega is something that all of a sudden people are very, very excited for for a pay-per-view. And Britt Baker looks awesome. And I, I kind of wish they had told the SCU story a little bit better leading into this championship bout that they are having with the Young Bucks. Um, I guess that's going to be next week. But 
they get a, a big win. So there, there's still some fun things that they did, but this show was all around blood and guts. And first of all, credit to the crowd at Daly's Place as they made this seem like a huge deal. But also, I thought this was the best outing for Tony Schiavone that we have had with him in AEW. And that is not a knock at anything he's done so far. I think he's been spectacular as one of the color commentators on AEW Dynamite and just AEW in general. But I thought he just added so much to this and really enhanced the drama of the moment and enhanced the drama of the night. Excalibur was good. Jim Ross had his moments and you get the, what are we seeing at the end um, for a, a bit of classic JR. But I, I thought of the three-man booth, he was third. But overall, like they had a pretty good night. The match itself, like it, it just, it felt as important as I wanted it to. The match gets going, the crowd is into it. Sammy Guevara looks like a star coming out of this one. And that that is, when you have a match like this, and we talked about going in, this is not necessarily the blow-off to this feud, but kind of the accelerator on this. And now Jericho's gonna go away because of that spot at the end. But this is this is the, the thing that kind of almost jumpstarts this feud. And when you have something like that, you need everyone to come out of this feeling a little bit more important than they were going in. And I think you get that with literally everyone in this match. Sammy Guevara, out of the ring, has had a bit of a tumultuous time and has certainly said some not great things and that cannot be ignored. On this night, in the ring though, he, he looks like an, an absolute star. And I think comes out of this match with his stock probably going up the highest. I think Santana has star power written all over him. And whether it is with him and Ortiz as a tag team, or if he ever branches off as a, a singles guy, I think this is a guy who has money all over him. And then you have the the spot, I call it the, the Batman and Bane spot from the Dark Knight Rises, where they're just throwing people off in kind of that end fight scene. And then they stare each other down. And I thought... They set that up well. The, the brawl that happened after was a little eh, but I, I thought they, they set it up really, really well. You have FTR, who just gushing blood after all of this. And then MJF looks like a, a dastardly heel at the end. So I, I thought they did it all really, really well. A couple production things that were just a little off, but you are shooting a movie in real time. And that that is an aspect of things in pro wrestling that I think don't get enough respect because, oh, well, it's fake. <laughs> but if you were to do that on a movie set, it would take all day with all the different shots that you'd be looking at getting and all of those types of things. And they are doing it on the fly on national television. I don't think pro wrestling, whether it be the WWE or whether it be AEW, get enough respect for that type of production that they do. But yeah, there was a couple of times where... It just kind of felt like, oh, what's happening over here? Oh, that dude's bleeding now. All right, what's happening here? Oh, that's a little bit too close. And it just, it's a little awkward. And then my biggest complaint about this was the commercial breaks. And whether you're watching in picture in picture and having to squint to see what happens, or if you're watching on replay after and you are not privy to picture in picture and all of a sudden the match is happening. Okay, they've gone to commercial break. They come back and the ring's been ripped apart. And now they come back and MJF and Chris Jericho are on top of the cage. It, it just, the commercial breaks I thought took away from it. And we've seen them go commercial free for some pretty big things in the past. Like they, they'll go 25 minute opening matches with no commercial breaks whatsoever. I thought they, like I, I would have accepted more commercial breaks during the first part of the show 
to have this last one commercial free because I thought this was a match that was severely hurt by the commercial breaks. And I think one that in the future should just be a pay-per-view. Um, and if you just wanted to build a pay-per-view around it, don't just have a month, uh, a yearly one that has to be in May. And what's the feud? Well, I guess we're going into blood and guts then. Have it actually mean something, but I think it does need to be on pay-per-view so you get away from the, the commercial break. Because that, that did kind of take you out of it. And the crowd would get you right back into it, but that was a, a bit of a, an issue for me. So, But overall, for a first outing as this type of a match, full marks. Absolutely amazing. Can't wait to see what happens next. I, I am all in, pardon the pun, on AEW. I, I thought just a, a phenomenal show. And you have a pretty stacked show coming up next week as well as you build toward the pay-per-view at the end of the month. Their former challengers on Wednesday night, NXT, I said that things need to kind of get a little bit more focused and, and just start to, to build up a little bit. And I think you do that. I don't love the title change. With the the way winning the NXT women's titles over Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I I I'm a big fan specifically of Shotzi. I I think that she, I think uh, again one who has star written all over her. I think she is that Ember Moon. I thought was that, but it kind of feels like that's slipping a little bit. But I I think she is helped greatly by this partnership. So I was a little surprised to see the the tag team titles come off of them. If that means a quick boost up to the main roster to help out their tag team title picture uh, probably sucks for them uh, not financially but storyline wise because the women's tag division main roster wise right now it just sucks but it's a, a division that i think needs a bit of a kick in the ass and, and i think blackheart and moon would certainly provide it the false count anywhere match with um isaiah swerve scott and leon ruff was spectacular loved it absolutely loved it on most weeks that would have been match of the week for me but I mean, you have freaking war games so kind of tough but no i thought that they they really set the they really set the, the tone for the night with a, a fantastic fight and, or a fantastic match sorry and just spectacular C- cannot say enough good things I, I think swerve scott has is another one who feels like a superstar leon ruff Obviously, a, a little hindered by his lack of size in terms of being like a main event feeling guy, but he certainly feels a little bit more like that coming out of this feud with Swerve Scott. So credit to Scott for helping out with that, but credit to Leon Ruff for uh, a great performance, and those two guys should be really happy about things. Looking forward to the, the main title picture getting a little bit more focus, and I like that with this, it's a very simple formula. You have multiple people vying for a championship and only one can on certain occasions there will be more but only one can so now the other two guys or whoever or however many who are looking to get into that championship match now have something else to compete for and it's just it's a very simple hey th- this can be a number one contenders feud you're not getting that on raw right now right like you you have three guys who are title challengers and then the rest of the roster doesn't even feel like they're looking at the WWE Championship right now. But on NXT, they're also doing this in AEW, and uh, to a certain extent on on SmackDown. But in NXT, it feels like everyone is focused on the championship, and there's only one number one contender. So now I have to, to, to get past the guys in my way 
to that ultimate goal. It's a simple strategy, it's a simple formula, but it works very, very well. On SmackDown last week, Daniel Bryan loses to Roman Reigns. He is off of SmackDown. Um, reports coming out that his... Um, his contract is up. There was, I had just the slightest thought of how amazing that would be if Daniel Bryan showed up on AEW at Blood and Guts, but uh, you don't need more surprise reveals on AEW right now. Daniel Bryan going away from WWE. I don't know how I would feel about that. It would be cool to see him kind of be the king of the indies again once independent wrestling gets back up and running financially he would be absolutely set with another contract in the WWE and I would imagine probably pretty set now financially as well but man it would be cool to see him in AEW and it'd be really cool to see him in New Japan Pro Wrestling but also like the way Noah is coming up I don't love Keiji Muto being their champion uh, their champion right now but the way Noah is building things up and All Japan starting to to work their way up a little bit like I, I think I think it would be fun if Daniel Bryan went a non-traditional route. Because whenever anyone leaves, the first thought is, oh, okay, well, he can go to, he'll go to AEW and he'll go to New Japan. I would love it if he went a, a different route. If Daniel Bryan shows up on MLW, uh, it would be really cool if he was at Ring of Honor. But if he's just popping up on different shows that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to. I think that would be a really, really cool idea for the, the kind of swan song victory lap of Daniel Bryan's career. On the Raw side, I actually thought an okay show this week. Um, I wasn't angry while watching it, so that's a bonus. I hated that the Viking Raiders were just there for a bit of a punchline for Matt Riddle and for Randy Orton, like just kind of a whatever that was. And to get into the Jackson Riker... Elias versus Matt Riddle, Randy Orton thing, the way they did, was just the lamest shit. And that, that, that is one of the problems with Raw right now, is that, like, to, to get into a, a Gulak Angel Garza match, it's, oh, that Rose must be stinky, well, will be when I show it up your ass. Like, nothing feels serious on that show, not, not, nothing feels... We, again, th this would get me made fun of in a, a more mainstream setting. Nothing feels real on that show right now. Well, like AEW, how strong and how real did Blood and Guts feel? And I get you're not going to set up Angel Garza and Drew Gulak the same way you would War Games, but some of the other stuff. Like you, there's a dude named Jungle Boy who I take more seriously than most of the roster on Raw right now. There's a guy who doesn't talk, whose gimmick is he puts his hands in his pockets and. I take him more seriously than most of the stuff I take on WWE, uh, on specifically on Raw right now. Like, everything just feels kind of childish and lame from a lot of main roster stuff, but uh, specifically on, on Monday Night Raw. Like, you have the, the women's tag team champions are in a feud that involves, the, the main basis of it is people slipping and falling. Like, it's just, eh, eh. I didn't think I'd get this worked up about it. But yeah, it all just feels very lame what, what is going on, on on Raw right now. Like, it's not, it is not a cool television program. And some would suggest that no wrestling is. But if I had non-wrestling fans over, I'm not, we're not sitting down watching Raw. I'm sitting down watching Dynamite. I, I might even say like, hey, this NXT thing's pretty cool. I might go back and rewatch something instead of the, the current product. But still... If you have non-wrestling fans in the room, you're not rushing to turn off NXT because it's embarrassing. You might be doing that with some stuff on Monday Night Raw. Just one more thing while I, I, I was thinking about it here. 
On the AEW front, some some criticism of the, the final sequence with MJF pushing Chris Jericho off. And it took way too long. And this was another one of the production things where you, you just have the camera shot on them and you hear Sammy saying, okay, okay, yeah, we give up, we give up. I thought that there could have been a little bit more production involved in that, where you're cutting to different faces and you're seeing a bit more of the panic and a bit more of the urgency. I thought that production-wise, they could have created a little bit more off of that. But the the criticism of the crash pad at the end that Chris Jericho falls through, you could have made it a little less obvious. Um, I, I'm not a stunt coordinator, so I, I don't know exactly how you do it. But like back in the day, Shane McMahon falling off the Titan Tron, you know that there's padding underneath there, but you don't see it. And with AEW, you kind of saw it. And that that does take you a little bit out of things. But again, to, to steal the Vince McMahon quote, you're making movies and you're doing it live. And that, that becomes very tricky. So I thought the criticism was a little bit unwarranted. Like, what, do you want Chris Jericho at 50 to be diving? Like, I, I felt very uncomfortable with Darby Allen just falling down the stairs. I would rather those were gimmicked stairs. I, I, I've said this before, I just, I prefer my pro wrestling fake. I don't think that's such a bad thing. Like I, I, th- there, there is a place for blood and guts and all of those types of things. And that this is, this ain't ballet as the cliche goes. So these guys are going to get hurt at times. I understand that, but I, I just, yeah, th- there's no other way to put it. I just prefer my wrestling fake. I don't need Chris Jericho diving onto cement, whether he's 25 or he's 50. I don't need Darby Allen falling down the stairs. I greatly appreciate the sacrifice these men and women make with their bodies, but at the same time, like, I just... I've had too many people who I grew up watching leave this world too soon because they kicked the shit out of themselves in something that's supposed to be fake. I just, I don't need it anymore. So, I... I I prefer the staged. I prefer things to be safe. I have no problem with there being a crash pad when Chris Jericho falls 20 feet off of a goddamn steel cage. And I think any criticism otherwise is it's a little bit much. So that that is kind of my closing thought there. Quickly, New Japan, um, Will Ospreay retains over Shingo Takagi. That bums me out. I think Shingo has, I'm saying this way too much. I think Shingo has star written all over him. If I am starting a promotion tomorrow, there aren't many draft picks that I'm taking ahead of a, a Shingo Takagi. And also, just going to write that down as a show idea, the pro wrestling draft. That would be a fun one for a rainy day. But it doesn't seem like there are going to be a lot of rainy days on the schedule coming up. Next weekend, we have WrestleMania Backlash. We have UFC 262. New Japan was supposed to have some stuff coming up next weekend as well. Those shows have been postponed. There is still a state of emergency in Japan as the vaccine rollout hasn't even been as good there as it's been in Canada, which is saying... A whole lot of things. But uh, with the state of emergency expanded, New Japan has canceled their their two stadium shows. I didn't like the idea of doing a second Tokyo Dome show anyway. I understand why you're doing it because you can get bigger crowds there. And I kind of like the idea of doing the baseball stadium thing. But these are different times. And I I think credit to New Japan because the the state of emergency said that you can still have 5,000 people at events, which... Seems like the opposite of a state of emergency. That seems like a state of, ah, eh, no, what you want. But I think credit goes to New Japan for canceling these shows and not just trying to get $25 out of 5,000 people to just make some kind of a gate. So credit them for shutting the show down and looking forward to seeing an Osprey Okada match when it is safe to do so. Lastly, we are going to have Big Brother Canada 9 spoilers. I have seen the finale. I am going to talk about that finale 
in three, in two, and in one. I think the right person won Big Brother. Uh, of the, the final three, I, I think overall, like you look at who was the best player, I think Kiefer certainly deserves to be Canada's favorite house guest. He was mine all season long, and, and I thought he would have been the clear winner. One thing I, I, I was worried about Ty in those final speeches, because I thought one thing he needed, he, he, I thought he focused a bit too much on having a shield in front of him, and I thought he could have focused more on, hey, what was the target from day one? It's get the boys out, get the boys out. The boys being him and Jed, the the two muscle-bound men in that um, in that show, and he never saw the block once. And I think that's something that he should have been commended for, that he had the social game to stay off of the block when he was the clear and obvious threat, especially early on in the game, and then use those physical abilities, but also won a lot of mental challenges and, and mental competitions to set himself up for that win. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Braden, a fine runner-up, but a very, very good season of Big Brother Canada, and I would suggest one of the best that I have seen, as I, I just, I really, really enjoyed how this whole season went. And if you look at this cast, if a bunch of them ended up in some kind of a, a BB Can All-Stars at some point, I'm not complaining. I thought it was a really, really great season. So hats off to everyone at Big Brother for a, a tremendous bit of entertainment. And holy shit, must that be a culture shock as those house guests now leave into this outside world. That is going to do it for this week on Couch Potato Diary. We will see about uh, post-fight Twitch on Saturday. Um, to be perfectly honest, eh, online poker night. So we'll see We'll see how I'm doing on, uh, on Saturday night. As, uh, again, the big fight is Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders. But I'll have some form of reaction coming up. If that has to wait till Monday, then that's what it is going to be. But if you miss me, there's plenty more of me, A, here on the Couch Potato Diary feed, but also our general history podcast. Myself and my wife, this week we discussed the apartheid on We Had No Idea. That releases every Wednesday morning. You can find that show on Instagram as well at We Had No Idea podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music provided by the fine folks at Wasted Talent, couple good Calgary boys. You can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Enjoy the face punching this weekend, everyone, and we'll talk to you guys later. We're out.